Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. Uh, welcome, my name's Mark, if we haven't met. Um, yeah, I just want to just begin, um, as, as I did last week, but just um, thank everyone who's praying for our family and interceding. Thank you for all of the messages and just way that people are praying or practically providing. Um, and uh, we do plan to get sort of a bit of a prayer um, email getting going just to keep people updated who want to pray for Trudy. Uh, my wife is currently, um, yeah, sort of battling cancer. Um, and uh, just wanted to also thank you for all of you who prayed. Last weekend she was um, hospitalised and she got very ill, um, but the good news is she came back on Friday, so that was a real answer to prayer. So we asked people who were asking what they could pray about for that. So just really grateful to all praying and supporting us, and we, we really feel it uh, supported at this moment, so thank you so much. And, and also just, yeah, I just echo what Britt said about Ignite the Fire, Trudy's passion about prayer, and, um, you know, I think people sort of say when you hear the news or people hear the news, they often say, what can I do? And, and one thing I would say is, like, we love the um, support and prayer and all that. It's really keeping us going. But also I'd say is, like, keep, like, like f- fanning the flames and carrying the banner of the call that Trudy has to, you know, pursue prayer. We felt that as a community. So let's keep doing that. That's a great way of also contributing at this moment to keep things going when Trudy can't physically uh, uh, do that in terms of pushing into uh, creating a culture of prayer. We are in a series called Deep Wells. This is a metaphor that we're used to the idea that we turn on a tap and water comes out. But through most of history, people have had to find rivers. When they couldn't find rivers, they found places where they could settle, where under the ground was deep subterranean water sources. Water is life. And one of the ways that they would access these deep subterranean underground water was to build wells, to dig down. Now, sometimes those wells were forgotten. They were neglected. Communities perhaps passed and then communities lost that source of water. Other times they were backfilled by enemies. People trying to disrupt a people would fill and backfill their wells so they couldn't access that water. But then there's these beautiful moments when people re-unclog those wells, they rediscover the wells and they rediscover the water that's actually just under their feet. And this is a really good metaphor for I think what God often does. Often there's these sources of power like prayer like a culture of worship that we spoke about last week where people worship with devotion. And communities forget these, neglect these. Sometimes they're blocked spiritually. And then there's these moments where they're unblocked and then renewal, those waters are rediscovered. And that's really what the theme is of this this series. And particularly too, like what does that look like in practicality? What does this look like when it's not just an idealistic thing that we talk about and use these words like renewal or we hear about something happening in Asbury, which we'll hear in a few weeks in more detail. But what does this actually look like in the lives of ordinary people who go to Woolworths? What does this actually look like in the life of a church which meets a certain time and place? What are the markers of when a community is being changed? And as I just said, last week we looked at worship, that when you see a community that's being renewed, you'll see a very marked change in how they worship. It's marked by a sense of devotion. And what I want to talk about this week is 
A community which is being renewed will also be marked by a culture of holiness. A culture of holiness. Individuals will feel a call to pursue holiness. A community will feel collectively a call to pursue holiness. And when you see that, it's like a weather signal going off that God is moving. Now, to set this up, I want to dig into the Scriptures, and I want to begin in Isaiah 2. Last week, we looked at, I think, some verses from Isaiah 1, where it talks a lot about worship, how the people were worshipping, the term that was used, that people were trampling the courts. They were just turning up physically to worship, but their hearts weren't really worshipping. The things that they were proclaiming as they worshipped didn't align with actually what their lifestyles were like. But then I want to jump to Isaiah 2, where what you get is you get this at the beginning of this great prophetic book, this picture of what a world redeemed looks like, when a culture redeemed looks like, when the presence of God comes in fullness, when the kingdom of God comes in fullness. It develops through the scriptures. It begins like a dot on the horizon, getting closer. It's in its fullness when we read books like Revelation, particularly the end of Revelation, where the new Jerusalem comes down uh, from the heavens to the earth and heaven and earth are reunified. But we start to get this stronger drawing at the beginning of Isaiah 2. So let's read it. It begins by saying, This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now this marks it in a time and place. As you'll see, a lot of this is pointing forward, but it's really important is when this is said. So Isaiah lived in a particular time, and he was in a particular place, Judah and Jerusalem. And it was a time when the people of God were facing tremendous political, geopolitical uh, tension. There were nations which were beginning to flex their muscle, threaten the northern borders. And this was creating a sense of panic amongst the people of God and the whole culture at that time. Do they produce more arms? Do they create alliances with perhaps a more powerful nation in order to protect them? So this is where he is speaking this vision of the presence of God coming in fullness into. It says this, verse 2. So that situates it where he's saying this, but this now points forward to what is to come. In the last days, and that is exactly what that term means. The last days is when God's presence comes in fullness and God returns with power. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Now, these are the very nations which at this point in time are threatening the people of God. They seem to have gone wild. Violence and power and conquest seems to be the order of the day. The nations, as Psalm 2 says, seem to rebel against God. But what he's saying here is this is actually a future time where God's mountain, which is another language in the Bible for Jerusalem, and God's temple, which is the dwelling place of his presence, that will actually almost become like this magnetic center for the world. And the nations will, instead of like attacking God's people, will extreme to God's presence. Verse 3, many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. This is language of let us worship in the temple is what this means in biblical language to the temple of the God of Jacob, not to their gods, the false gods which they're worshipping, idols, but actually the nations will come to the God of Jacob, Yahweh, God of the Bible. Now, the nations lived in ways which are oppressive and unjust. They caused violence. They were following other gods. But what it says here is really interesting in the next path, uh, path, part. He will teach us his ways so that we, we may walk in his paths. 
The law, the Torah, God's instructions, will go out from Zion, that's Jerusalem, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So not only the nation's going to string him, that they will be profoundly changed and transformed as nations, cultures, and peoples through this encounter, but they will want God's presence. They will be transformed by God's presence. And then it paints this picture of what, is, what do international relations look like in the future. He says, verse 4, he will judge between the nations. He will settle disputes for many people. And then listen to this language, really famous uh, verse. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spear into printing hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. This violence, which is defining the day, this arms race that's going on is actually turned on its head and the weapons that are created to destroy and create violence, what we see happen with Cain and Abel, actually goes backwards to the garden and these tools of war actually become tools of plowing, of creating, of fruitfulness. Pruning is a fruitful thing. You prune a, a, prune a, a tree to make it more fruitful. And what we have is the world is regaining that, some of that sense of the Garden of Eden. So it ends with, come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So what he's saying is things are really bad. Like he's, people know that he doesn't have to argue that. Things are looking bad in the culture, in the world at the moment. It's a time of great tensions. Israel is under threat. So that's obvious. He then points forward to this time which is coming. And he says, this is where things are going. This is the truth. No one can get past this. This is what God's going to do. This is the future. So therefore, even though we are now in the midst of this really frightening, difficult and hard time, we're actually defined not by what is horizontally happening around us. We're actually defined by what is vertically true, that God will descend from heaven. His presence will come close. Heaven will meet earth again. That's how history ends. And that's where we're going. And all this stuff that you're worrying about is going to be transformed by God. So therefore, now let's walk a different way. Let's not walk the way of fear. Let's actually walk the way of light. The light of the Lord. So what is he saying? He's saying God's presence will be established on earth. That's a settled fact. And the response of humans to this settled fact, at whatever time they live, particularly in difficult times, is to choose to walk in the light of the Lord. Another way of putting this is the coming of God's presence in fullness in the future. And the future often breaks into now, where we feel God's presence now, causes humans to walk in God's ways rather than in human-designed ways. When we walk in God's ways, not in human-designed ways, the biblical term for this is holiness. So when God is moving, when God is renewing us, when God is doing something new, when he's pouring out his spirit, is it inevitable that you're going to see holiness? Holiness is a way we prepare ourselves for the presence. So times may be hard. God's going to bring his presence in fullness. We need to just walk in the light now, walk the way of holiness. Therefore, sermon done. Really easy, easy hay. Not really. Because we also need to grapple with something else that Isaiah teaches us. 
that when God's presence comes, it actually creates a reaction. Now, you would think that God's presence coming, God of love, God of justice, God of righteousness, God who created you, that his presence turning up would actually be the thing that everyone wants, that literally the crowd would cheer, similar to like when that slide went up uh, of the giving and everyone cheered just instantaneously. You'd think you'd have some kind of reaction like that, like when a goal scored in football, everyone's going to cheer. Humanity will finally go, phew, but actually it doesn't happen like that. When God's presence comes, it creates a reaction. We see this in verse 11. It says this, The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride will be brought low. It's like these levers that go down, but there's a lever that must go up. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. When the day of the Lord comes, when God's presence comes in fullness, when his presence is here, it's like all those levers can't align. That actually when God's presence comes and he is exalted, it means that human pride will be brought down and actually humility will follow. There are times when it's like that, but when the presence comes, it goes like that. Because pride and presence cannot mix. This is why holiness is so important. And it also helps us re- frame our understanding of holiness. When we say holiness, it's not a popular word in Christian circles, particularly this moment. Despite being filled throughout scriptures and when you read Christian books, the word holiness is often thrown away because it can be interpreted by us as sort of goody-two-shrewdness. Or perhaps it can be interpreted as a kind of call to a kind of life where yeah, you may be holy, but too holy for earthly purpose. And you become this sort of spectral, super spiritual person who just floats above everything, but you don't really live a truly human life. And there's those things that they do where they do Google searches for certain words. You can see certain words when they become popular in the culture, they get typed in a lot more on Google. Well, you could argue, you know, obviously Google's only been around for a certain amount of time, but I think if you looked at the word holiness, it would have dropped off in use over the last couple of decades. But it's a, cease. it's a really, really important word. See, holiness is how God prepares us for the coming of his presence because holiness is in many ways the opposite of pride. And pride is more than simply arrogance. Many people, particularly in today's society where people struggle with anxiety, they struggle with self-esteem, they struggle with how they see themselves, we can sort of think, well, we're not got really pride. In fact, I'm the opposite. I've almost got self-hatred. But pride is more than just simple arrogance, a lack of anxiety, or an overinflated self-esteem. In verse 19, it's got this really interesting set of images. It says, when the presence day of the Lord comes, people will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground. For the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. So what we see here is when the presence of God comes, it creates this kind of reaction. The people who face this invitation to dwell in the place where God is transforming the earth, when the day of the Lord comes, the imagery is actually heaven and earth overlapping as it was in the garden. In the garden, heaven and earth were close. When sin came into the world, they broke apart because God's presence cannot 
be around that which resists it. It cannot be around that which is sinful. So when God's presence comes in fullness and heaven and earth are transformed, that's the dwelling place that humans are called to live in. That's what Eden was like. But what we see here is not everyone wants to be in that place. And we see this reaction in the people in the first part of the verse where it says, they flee into caves in the rocks, to holes in the ground. They're almost like moles. They're digging deep into the ground because they just want to go fully earth. They don't want heaven just to escape to some spectral place. They don't want to live in the overlap between heaven and earth. So they're just pushing deeper into the earth. And it's really key to understand this. So Christians aren't just called to escape to some sort of pure spiritual realm of heaven. We're actually called to live in the place. When we follow Jesus, we create an overlap of heaven and earth. In humans, we're created of earth And God's spirit breathing into us, that's what the creation of humans tells us in the the book of Genesis. But what these people want is when God's presence, they just want to go so deep into the earth that there's no heaven there. And you have this image of them of almost burrowing into the ground, fleeing the presence of God. And that's why that word there, which seems contradictory, because if God is all loving, why is this fearful before the presence? Well, it's only fearful if you don't exalt God. The flesh in us, that which rejects God and and, and wants to go our own way, will find the presence fearful. So the presence when it comes is like a two-edged sword. It's a healing thing for those who are humble, but actually comes against human arrogance. So what you could describe this as is, pride is ultimately choosing human power over divine power, the earth's way, over God's way. So therefore, we really need to understand holiness because understanding holiness is actually understanding something key to what it is to be a human being and also to align with where God is moving history towards. So to dig this deep down into the practical, which is what we're talking about in this series, if a community is being renewed, If people are choosing the way of renewal and holiness is breaking out, what does that actually look like? What does a culture of holiness look like? Well, I just want to give three things which helps us bed this down and helps us understand it. The first thing is choosing holiness is choosing to live vertically rather than horizontally. Vertically rather than horizontally. Now, this seems a bit strange. Most of you would not have thought, do I live vertically or do I live horizontally? But if you think about how you know who you are, how you get feedback, how do you get compliments? How do you get messages of esteem? How do you get a sense of self? How do you get a sense of style? Everyone in this room has a bunch of things around which you built a sense of identity. It could be family, friends, the kind of music you listen to, the education that you have, your achievements, your dislikes. You think about people arrange themselves on social media sites or dating websites. Really, it's a bunch of stuff which you type in there and you'll often have like a drop-down menu to describe all these things. And this is your way of saying to the world, this is who I am and projecting that to the rest of the world. So primarily humans are in our world taught to define their identity by looking horizontally. 
Now, there's an element where this is just natural and true. I'm an Australian. I'm born in a particular time and place. I was born and was around particular kinds of people. I've had different experiences. There's different things I've liked uh, and do like. And all of these things in some way do speak of my identity. But in a secular culture where that's the only way that your identity is spoken of, you can find yourself in a kind of trap. Because what happens is, what happens when the friends who you're looking to define you turn on you? What happens when the job that you have, which defines your sense of identity, all of a sudden is irrelevant and technology replaces it, or you're sacked? What happens when the piece of paper that you have worked for years to get, your qualifications becomes irrelevant, or you move countries and it doesn't, it doesn't compute there? What happens when people around you start backbiting you or saying something about you, What happens when you get sick or life circumstances change? People go from defining themselves by experiences, particularly when they're younger, and then all of a sudden, it could be, I see these people on a Friday night and do this on a Saturday night, and then all of a sudden you have kids, and then it's different, and you see people go into these sort of spirals when their life circumstances changes because the feedback loops which are feeding us horizontally are broken down. And additionally, We live in a culture which is not static. You see, many cultures have had incredible cultural frameworks which have gone for decades, centuries, where the culture does change, but there's a sense of stability of what is a good person, what's good, what's bad. But we live in a time where culture is moving so quickly. You think before 2016 seems like another world. Things are changing very quickly. And there's things called like the Overton window. So if you set yourself on what is, the Overton window was invented by an American political scientist. And what he said is that something is often taboo. And then all of a sudden people sort of push the boundaries and it becomes acceptable. That's something that modern Western culture did. The German British historian Peter Gay said that uh, modern Western culture is constantly in search of heresy and breaking taboos. So all of a sudden if something is like an envelope I'm going to use my phone here. It's like an envelope. This is what is unacceptable. And then all of a sudden that will become acceptable because someone will push the boundaries. And then all of a sudden the frontier of what is acceptable constantly changes and it keeps moving forward. And we see it different cultures throughout history. Rome, you can look at different cultures is when culture is constantly moving that envelope forward that you find yourself in a kind of moral decline. So if you're defining yourself by what is good, what is the way I should think, how should I see myself by the culture, particularly in 21st century culture that we live in, you're going to find that constantly changing and like a frog being boiled in a kettle, your morality can quickly decline. Now what holiness is in the Hebrew is this term set-apartness. Set-apartness. God in calling the, the people of God, Israel, to be Holy was to be different from the nations. The goyim, they called them. They weren't to be defined by what the nations were doing. The nations were worshipping other gods. The nations sacrificed children. The nations did all these things. And Israel was, was constantly told, do not be like the other nations. Be wholly set apart. Whenever Israel goes wrong, it's when it's looking horizontally and being defined by what the nations do. 
Now, we live at a time where there is tremendous pressure culturally on you and me through technology, through all different kinds of things. Never, I think, the pressure to influence how you think is so profound at this moment. So set-apartness is really hard because you can't physically set apart. These suckers, phones, media, everything is constantly at you from the minute you get up to the minute you go to bed. Profiling, understanding you psychologically, they've got written the book on you and they know how to influence you. So continually what you find, we're constantly being affected horizontally. But when we choose holiness, what we choose to do is to recognize, yeah, there's going to be some stuff horizontal. That's just part of what it is to live in the world. But it's not the primary thing. Actually, what must define us is the vertical sense of we have a God who is above us. God is not human. God is divine. We are not God. So therefore, we have this sense of truth. And what does that sense of truth say about you? That sense of truth says that you were created in the image of God. That God on the cross gave his son so that you would not have to pay the price. And on the third day, that son rose from the ground, Jesus. And then you have eternal life when you bend your knee to Jesus. And actually, you are not defined by what your peers think about you because your peers' thoughts or even your family can change. The culture will change. Your abilities at different times throughout your life will change. Things will go in and out of fashion. There'll be points where maybe you're super, super young, but then you're going to be at different phases when you're in the middle age, older age. All these different things which society puts different values on will change, but the overarching message of what happens when we define ourselves vertically is God's message prevails above all. So you can literally be someone who is completely turned on by people around you. You can go through the most difficult suffering. You can seemingly, because of your life circumstances, have no value according to your culture. But actually the message that God gives us is that you matter. You are loved. You are created in God's image. And that goes into eternity because it's actually defined by eternity that the things of this earth at some point don't seem to have the importance when you see heaven invading earth and our priorities are re-established according to God's priorities. And what you realize is things then become really unimportant very quickly and so much of what is held up of such great value in our society is put into its true light when we actually look at it through that vertical, eternal, heavenly perspective. What Isaiah is telling us is heaven is coming to earth and the world be transformed by God's presence. And that is the number one thing which should define who we are. So holiness is choosing in response to the Holy Spirit to live vertically rather than horizontally. Secondly, a culture of holiness will result in transformation. If you truly live defined by what God says about you, not by what the cultural mores are, not what the culture says you should look for identity, not by your peers who can be fickle, not even by your own self-talk, trying to talk yourself up, that actually if you do this, what this will do will result in transformation. Because just as in the future, 
There is this world coming, that revelation and the prophecies of Isaiah. We see all through the scriptures they're talking about where heaven comes and invades earth and God comes to make his home again in the world when Jesus returns. That just as that is the future of the world is the world redeemed, there is you. You think about this. In the future, there is you living in eternity with God, fully transformed. Sin removed. Made who God wanted you to be. And when I look at myself and I compare myself to 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, to be completely honest, a month ago, there are things that I can see where I've had to make that choice to live vertically. I've confessed, I've repented, I've changed. I've been shaped by God. I don't need to earn my salvation, but Jesus invites me because I have this gift of salvation, this grace to then step into what the scriptures or the great language of the church is called sanctification, becoming more like Christ. And when I see things in my life, I look back and there's parts of me, I don't recognize myself. And that's not because I've done some great self-help improvement, 27 hacks, just followed this Twitter chain, that actually... What God has been doing is working in my life and changing me. So if I take that logic forward, there's me in however many days God has for me on this earth, that in the future, there's going to be someone who is more transformed by Christ. And then when I pass this from this mortal core and live with God in his redeemed world, when heaven fully invades earth and I live with Christ in his coming kingdom, I'm fully redeemed and changed. So therefore, in your future, there is a version of yourself, a future self, if you want to call it that, which is transformed, which God has worked on, this baggage that is going to be left behind, brokenness that's going to be left behind, addictions that's going to be left behind, bad mental states that's going to be left behind, strongholds that's going to be left behind, relational breakdown, just things which sabotage yourself, things which are holding you back. These things are going to be left behind. And what holiness is doing is actually choosing to say, I'm going to walk forward and I want to walk forward to that future self that God has for me. Because there's only really two directions we can head in. We can head towards that future self or we can resist it and burrow deeper into the ground like a mole, more of the earth and becoming less of who God wants us to be, who he's called us to be. <coughs> and this is ultimately the choice between worshipping God or worshipping idols. Humans always worship. You either worship God or you worship money or you worship negativity or you worship just sport or you just worship career or you worship not having a career. Our humans continually will find something to worship. We never not have an off switch for worship. But when we choose to walk towards God and worship Him, we are actually transformed. This is what holiness is. And you see, when we embrace holiness and take this direction, one of the defining things I would say of renewal is renewal is choosing new creation. And there are times it happens, like we're going to hear in a couple of weeks at, 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 at Asbury where a service just kept going for how many weeks and there's this incredible palpable moment. But also what renewal looks like is someone who you see and you go, oh, this, something changed. They've really grown. And that person may not even know it because they've just been pushing into God, but that little bit of insecurity is gone. That bit of negativity is gone. 
and they're being changed by God. And when we do that, we're changing the way of new creation. God is going to redeem creation, embracing holiness. He's saying, yes, I want my life to be under new creation. I'm not just going to stay here. One of the saddest things I never forget was when I was younger, there's a situation where there was someone who's a great, great person, great leader, but they just had a few blind spots. And I was a young guy and I saw this. And, and, and basically someone had this chat to this person and said, look, there's just this thing, bit of a blind spot. And this person's response was, look, I'm, I'm old now. It is what it is. And I remember thinking, I never want to be that. I always want to keep growing. I want to be, if God has me at 83, I want to go by 87, I'm more holy than I was at 83. There is no neutral place where you just go, oh, here I am. And, and one thing that we can do, just to, I'm going to jump back to the horizontal for one sec. One thing we can do is we can say, man, culture is so bad now. I'm going to set my moral compass by culture here, and I'm not as bad as those people. We can do that. At least I'm not as bad as those people. And the people here, at least I'm not as bad as those people. We're not called to measure ourselves by the lowest common denominator as Christians. We're actually called to measure ourselves by going forward and pressing forward with God. And when we do this, there's this sense that that's what a human is. A human is created and set up to grow like this spiritually. Alec Moitzner says this, when human beings depart from the Lord, no matter what they depart to, they progressively lose their true humanity. He's not saying they don't become human, they, they lose their humanity, but the true humanity which God calls us to, their dignity, the image of God is humiliated. Only in the Lord does humankind remain human. So when we choose this, when we choose this redeemed sense of Corinthians talks about this resurrection that will happen to everyone, that's where we're going when we follow Jesus. That resurrection breaks back into our life now when we choose holiness. And this leads us to the third thing. A culture of holiness will result in fruitfulness. Renewal is a time of fruitfulness. When the sowing under the surface has been going for some time, the seed's been planted and you're watching the top of the soil and you're waiting for it to sprout or a tree's been planted and it's been three or four seasons yet to see fruit. What renewal is, is when fruit bursts out, when it's time for harvesting. Arthur Wallace says this, fruit is practical holiness in thought, word, and deed. Fruit is likeness to Jesus Christ. Holiness always leads to fruit. And fruitfulness renews people, places, relationships, churches, and communities. So the charge that Isaiah gives us, which I think is a great charge for us today. We're at a time where there's a lot of concerning things in the world. There's a lot of things we can be worried about personally and corporately. Eternal news is not a fun show to watch. But there is this invitation to walk in the light of the Lord. And I believe... One of the things that the enemy has tried to do is to basically throw away holiness because when we're not pursuing set-apartness, actually what we are is then compromised with the world, with the enemy. And it's just, it's just a, an ongoing domino effect of disasters when that occurs because God wants, us to, I mean, God, uh, God wants us to point towards a future self. When we don't do that and we sort of accept some neutral place or we burrow deeper into the earth, we then beat ourselves up. We make a mistake. 
And instead of accepting God's forgiveness, we beat ourselves up and go, this is who I am, this is where I am, at least I'm not doing that. We create all these narratives to stay in that place. I think that's particularly true at this moment in history for so many people. There's a tremendous pressure from the enemy to keep people entrapped without a vision for the fact that their life could change. Holiness seems like Ned Flanderness. But actually what holiness really is, is an invitation to say yes to new creation, renewal, the future self that God has for you, and the fact that he is coming again, that heaven will invade earth and he will change us. So yes, let's say with Isaiah, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And when we do that, we create a culture of holiness. Let me pray. God, let's stand and pray. God, first of all, we just want to acknowledge the enemy's plan to make us forget holiness. God, we just want to acknowledge the way that there are so many traps in the world to compromise us, to make us forget who we really are. God, we just want to confess and acknowledge where we have burrowed deeper into the earth, where we have defined ourselves primarily horizontally. And God, I just want to pray now for people who that's been because of peers, that the primary judge has been peers. And God, we actually want to just replace that with you as judge above all. God, we recognize the ways in which we've set our standards according to the standards of the world. And God, we just want to replace that with the standards of heaven. God, we want to even just take away that horizontalness of even sometimes our negative self-talk. And God, we just place that at the foot of the cross and we want to say yes to what you say about us. And so, God, we just repeat that now. We thank you, God, that you died on the cross for us, that you gave your son. We thank you that you created us, that you love us, that our future is not a future of hopelessness, that our future is not a future of deterioration, but actually you have a vision for every individual life here to see us transformed and fruitful. And God... You've set apart every person in this room who knows they're a follower of you. You've set them apart. And so, God, I just want to just break off in Jesus' name any ungodly ties to what other people think, ungodly relationships, ungodly connections to the world, whatever they may be, Father, things which are keeping us bound. God, we break them off. And I just want to thank you, Father. It doesn't matter what we've done up to this point, that on the cross you take all sin, and you wash us clean. That you paid the price that we don't have to. So Father, any condemnation of what people have done in the past, Father, we just send that to the pit of hell. And we remember that we are redeemed. We are justified. And you invite us, Father, into this process of becoming more like you. Jesus, we want to be more like you. We thank you that your presence is here 
that you're available, that your presence will come in fullness. The day of the Lord will come and we wait in anticipation. But until then, however long we have on this earth or however long until you return, we want to become more like you, Jesus. We want to be set apart. So I just want to pray for endurance. I want to pray for courage. I want to pray for perseverance. I want to pray in Jesus' name that you can walk with us, empower us on the journey to be more like you. May we not compare sideways and measure sideways and moralize sideways. May Jesus, we actually do all those things vertically according to your standard, what you see of us, your word, your way. We say yes to that. Create in us a culture of holiness, we ask and pray.